the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today on A Word from the Word. Well, we're headlong into our New Year series, 2024, The Bible. What is it good for? We began this series in part one by laying a foundation, putting to rest some of the unfortunate criticisms that have been leveled against the Bible, either out of ignorance, misinformation, or sheer animosity. Last time in part two, we took a detailed look at how the Bible was compiled and organized, realizing how and why it is unique, and therefore how and why we can defend it. We saw that one important aspect of the Bible's uniqueness was its continuity from Genesis to Revelation, from the first book to the last book. We even drew some parallels between the 66 books contained in the Bible and the compilation of Western classics known as Great Books of the Western World, which contains selections from more than 450 works by some 100 authors and spanning some 2,500 years. Similarly, friends, we saw that our Bible, the Judeo-Christian scriptures, is a compilation of works of over 40 authors spanning some 1,500 years, written on three continents and in three languages. And in spite of its diverse subject matter, the Bible amazingly presents a single, unified, unfolding story from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible's 40-plus authors give us glimpses of a single perspective, God's will and plan for fallen humanity. So, the Bible is not simply an anthology, Rather, it has a unity that binds all its writings together. This only substantiates that the continuity of its 66 books make it one book. Today in Part 3, the Book of Books reveals the Savior of Saviors will build on that single perspective of God's will and plan for fallen humanity. Friends, this biblical notion of God's will and plan for fallen humanity is often consolidated in what churches call a statement of faith. 
It may be printed in a bulletin, church promotional literature, or posted on their website. My own denomination calls it an affirmation of faith, and it begins with this opening statement, These biblical beliefs, briefly and simply stated, express our understanding of the Christian faith, which we hold in common with other believers. Generally, a local church, whether independent or connected to a denomination, lists the beliefs they hold in common with the wider evangelical body of Christ. This might be anywhere from seven to ten common doctrinal statements. My denomination has nine primary summary statements, which I'm going to share with you. First, we believe in the one and only God, who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Second, we believe that all humans, male and female, were created by God, in His image, to be loved and known by Him. We were made to glorify and enjoy God, but our relationship with Him and our very nature has been broken by sin, which has made us all subject to God's judgment. Third, we believe that all of our world, physical and spiritual, visible and invisible, was created by God. We believe our world is also broken by sin and remains in corruption and rebellion and in need of God's redemption. Fourth, we believe that God's gift of His Son is the only and all-sufficient way we can be saved from the guilt, power, and eternal consequences of our sin and restored to a full relationship with Him. We believe we receive this salvation only through our repentance and faith in the atoning death and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fifth, we believe that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for salvation because he is truly God's Son, fully human and fully divine. In other words, fully God. We believe Jesus' humanity and divinity are demonstrated through both his death and resurrection and his sinless and miraculous life. Sixth, we believe that the Holy Spirit will lead those who believe in the Lord Jesus into transformed lives. This radical and divinely empowered transformation happens as we come to see Jesus more clearly, know him more intimately, and follow him more closely. This life is marked by increasing conformity to Christ's goodness and holiness as we die to our sin and self-seeking. We believe this transformation is accomplished through obedience and self-denial by the believer and empowerment and cleansing by the Holy Spirit. Seventh, we believe in one universal church, which is made up of all who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ and who seek to serve, love, and obey Him. Eighth, we believe that human history will come to an end when Jesus returns and this world is redeemed through the creation of a new heavens and new earth. We believe that all will be raised from the dead, the saved to eternal life with God, and the lost to God's eternal condemnation. And finally, ninth, we believe the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, is the inspired and authoritatively written word of God. We believe the Bible is entirely trustworthy in all that it teaches and reveals, that we are obliged to obey its teachings, and that all of our doctrines and practices are subject to its authority. Friends, I hope that as you were listening to those nine statements, you saw stitched within them a glimpse of a single perspective, God's will and plan for fallen humanity. Nowadays, faith statements like these represent a dangerous document, especially in light of the age of tolerance in which we now live. In other words, our age of relativism. 
The average non-religious person, skeptic, agnostic, or even atheist, could easily retort back, Whoa, that's pretty intolerant, isn't it? Or to use a phrase just as common, that's pretty narrow-minded. I remember some time ago, while out driving, I noticed a car ahead of me, but too far to see the whole bumper sticker, except the big word God. It piqued my interest, so I sped up to see if I could get close enough to read the entire bumper sticker. Friends, do you want to know what the bumper sticker said? God is too big to fit into just one religion. Josh McDowell, in his book More Than a Carpenter, asked a great question. Why is it that you can talk about God and nobody gets upset? But as soon as you mention Jesus, people so often want to stop the conversation or they become defensive. The late Chuck Colson once made a startling discovery that was a rude awakening for him. Because of his former involvement in the Watergate scandal, he became nationally known and his name became a household word. After Colson accepted Jesus Christ as his personal savior, the media began to follow him around. But he was blunt about his newfound faith and deliberately explained to them that he had accepted Jesus Christ. He later concluded... I discovered that one major U.S. daily newspaper, as a matter of policy, would not print the two words, Jesus Christ, together. When they're combined, the editor said, they represent an editorial judgment. In other words, Colson learned that saying Jesus Christ represented one's personal opinion instead of being an objective truth. So much for unbiased journalism, right? Well, friends, in our present series, we've been taking a hard look at this book of books, the Bible, if you will, and why its claims are worth defending, and why in today's part three, this book of books reveals the Savior of Saviors, we're going to be taking a long, hard look at some provocative statements made in both the Old and New Testaments. These, I believe, will illuminate just why we can talk about God, and nobody gets upset, but as soon as we mention Jesus or Jesus Christ, people naturally get upset or defensive. Friends, let's begin with Psalm 49, verses 1 through 15, but our key verses will be verses 7 through 9. The opening six verses provide the context. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. Notice, no distinction between social or economic status. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb. With the harp I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? And here's the clencher, friends, verses 7 through 9. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. This first part may also be worded, No man can by any means redeem his brother. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. In other words, we could live out to our dying day and still not be able to redeem one fellow human being. The psalm continues, For all can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. And let me just say here, friends, we must be careful how we understand the word foolish. A biblical fool is not what we might think. A biblical fool is a moral rebel, one who rebels against the moral laws of God. 
So, the psalm continues, the tombs will remain there in their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are all like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem my life, or my soul, from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Now, friends, there's a shorter parallel passage that crops up in Psalm 146, verses 3 through 6, that says, Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men, who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground or that the very day their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, Yahweh, his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord, Yahweh, who remains faithful forever. Notice how the Bible writers take certain words and their accompanying concepts very seriously. Words like redemption, ransom, words that have a direct tie-in to the concept of salvation and forgiveness of sins. And as we've been discussing, there's a unifying thread that runs from Genesis to Revelation, a thread that ties these concepts together. Let's hear what's said about the Lord God by the Hebrew prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verses 10-13. Through 13. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord Yahweh, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, I, even I, am the Lord Yahweh, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord Yahweh, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? Or how about Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 through 9? This is what the Lord Yahweh says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Yahweh Almighty. I am the first, and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened, since I established my ancient people, and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no other rock. I know no one. Or take Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 through 24. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say to me, In the Lord Yahweh alone are deliverance or salvation and strength. 
Well, friends, let's pause here for just a moment. You're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners, and A Word from the Word is listener-funded. Your financial partnership is vital to keeping this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home at this time. And you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church, please join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at A Word from the word at minister.com. Friends, we're living in challenging financial times, and ministries are not immune from these challenges. A word from the word is still seeking to become fully funded, and monthly supporters are greatly needed. We'll repeat this info at the end of today's program. Well, friends, let's face it. The reason that people can freely talk about God these days and not get upset is simple, isn't it? It's because God can be discussed in a generic sense, each person attaching whatever meaning they want to the concept of God. But throw in the two words, Jesus Christ, and whoa! Now that represents an editorial judgment. And those simple yet profound two words is a concept of humanity and divinity wrapped up in one person one man and only one man the man jesus of nazareth the man jesus christ friends i remember those bible college days when i first learned of the phrase the scandal of particularity you see from a theological point of view the christmas story in other words the incarnation is referred to as the scandal of particularity that little phrase stands for a paragraph of information and here's that paragraph It's a scandal to the human mind that God would choose to manifest himself at one particular time in history and in only one particular person, the person Jesus Christ. I find it interesting, and I hope you will too, that scriptures we tend to restrict to reading during the Christmas season certainly bear repeating, particularly when they relate to understanding the nature, person, and work of Jesus Christ. For instance, Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, where the angel is saying to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Then Matthew himself chimes in, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Friends, when reading these incredible texts, we almost always roll over them like a steamroller and don't think twice about what is being said here. Because two names are presented here, the name Jesus and the name Emmanuel. Two incredible names, two incredible meanings. I think it's pretty cool that the angel actually defines Jesus' name and tells us why it's chosen. Our English word Jesus is actually the word Yeshua. In Hebrew, the yeh prefix is actually an abbreviated poetry form for God's name, Yahweh, or Yah. And the shua part means to save, but it also includes to deliver, to rescue, to liberate, and gain victory over. So, friends, the name Jesus means 
God saves, God rescues, etc. And the angel elaborated on that saving part, didn't he? Jesus will be God saving his people from their sins. And now we have that other incredible name, Emmanuel. The Hebrew original begins with an E. And what's cool is the Hebrew name is two words, Emmanu and El. Are you starting to connect the dots yet? I know some of you listening are familiar with God's names found sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. We know there are L words for God, compound words like El Shaddai, God Almighty, or El Elyon, God Most High. In these compound names, the L prefix is always first, but only one name in all of Scripture has the L part last. That's Emmanuel. Now, isn't that cool? Friends, I've wondered about this and the fact that Matthew defines Emmanuel as God with us, right? But what would happen if we took that meaning in its literal sense, saying, with us is God? I have a sneaky suspicion that the intent of this form, Emmanuel, was to emphasize the with us part, since it comes first in that name, Emmanuel. It's not El Emmanuel. Well, friends, let's call our attention to some Bible verses we're likely quite familiar with, like Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, the tail end of Jesus' great commission that concludes Matthew's gospel. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In John chapter 14, verse 18, here in the midst of Jesus predicting the coming of the Holy Spirit, he tells his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Even John chapter 1 verse 1, where we get our word incarnation, meaning becoming or taking on flesh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We could rightly say the word became flesh and began living with us. Hey, friends, let's be honest for a moment, okay? When we're going through tougher, challenging times, isn't the first thing we tend to shout out to God? Hey, God, where are you? It's as if we're saying, God, aren't you with me? That's why I'm convinced, friends, Jesus' name, Emmanuel, is crafted to remind us that first and foremost, with us is God, through Jesus, now through the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is why I'm convinced that when Jesus comes on the scene in the first century Greco-Roman world, he creates an immediate stir among the presiding Jewish religious leaders, the religious control freaks over the Jewish religious system. I call them the J.R for short. It was the disciples who first acknowledged who Jesus actually was. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, responding to Jesus' question, who do people say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Conversely, it was these Jewish religious leaders who first rejected Jesus' claim to be God. In John chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, John records their response. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Luke chapter 2 verse 11 is another text we've relegated to the Christmas season. Shame on us. The angel says to the shepherds, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, or Messiah the Lord. 
Friends, we've got to hear this with first century ears. The way it was intended to be heard by both Jews and Gentiles, a Savior has been born to you, Christos Kyrios, or Moshiach Yahweh, Messiah God. You see, friends, the first century question remains the 21st century question, doesn't it? Who do people say Jesus is remains the key question in every generation since it was first asked. In part one, we asked the ultimate question, what is truth? Today, in part three, the pivotal question is, who is Jesus? Friends, Jesus' claims to be God are either true or false. If his claims were false, there are only two possible reasons. He knew he was they were false, or he didn't know they were false. If he knew they were false, he becomes an imposter, a liar, a hypocrite, even a fool, for he died for what he knew was untrue. If he didn't know his claims were false, then he was deluded and a lunatic. But if Jesus' claims were true, then we're driven to conclude he is Lord, which leads us to only two possibilities, accept him as Lord and God, or reject him altogether. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of our program. I hope it's been both inspiring and challenging. Please stay with us during this New Year series as I'll continue bringing evidence and share multiple ways we can defend our faith and our sacred book, the Bible, the Judeo-Christian Scriptures. And as promised, we'll close out our broadcast with an email address where you may write me and share your feedback on these teachings or any other teachings you've heard on this program. This is also where you may inquire about how to help fund a word from the word and keep us on the air as a word from the word is listener funded friends i love coming alongside those of you without a church home at this time or those of you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church podcasts are easily accessible at either faithtalk1360.com here search the menu for local program podcasts then scroll to a word from the word or spotify.com here search for a word from the word with pastor tom you can also access a word from the word on apple podcasts if these teachings are inspiring you to grow and study god's word more conscientiously why not come alongside us and invest in the mission of a word from the word which includes sharing the gospel discipling those without a church home and even you who may have been hurt by the institutional church please consider making a one-time contribution or even become a monthly partner this first month in the new year it will truly help us move ahead in the black well thanks for listening today friends and remember jesus loves you i'm pastor tom with a word from the word friends if you would like to let pastor tom know what this program has meant to you email him at a word from the word at minister.com that's a word from the word at minister.com Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.